Thank you, Susan. That was an incredibly touching and heartfelt presentation. Um, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is a, a joy to be with you all here today. Um, if you take a look at your program at the front of it, uh, we are going through a new series uh, going through the Psalms. Um, and while Pastor Darren and I were planning it, we recognized that in just like in life, like the, the Psalms has a huge range of emotions, right? Ranging from joy to lament to anger, right, to praise. And uh, with these emotions, we had the vision that our church uh, to, could kind of grapple with what these emotions do and how they uh, pertain to our faith. And so we came up with the sermon series name, uh, Bear Before God. Right? The idea isn't that we are literally naked and bare, right? but rather before God, nothing is hidden because he knows us and he knows all. Oh yeah, sorry, all the kids can go to their children's church. Sorry, I'm filling in with past for Pastor Darren today, so I'm still a rookie. Um, if, um, so bare before God, right? We, if we think about that and we think about uh, one story that comes to mind is the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, they were literally bare before God, and yet they felt no shame. I think we recognize that it's only after sin entered the world, right, in which they felt shame and separation from God, not wanting to be bare before him. When Adam and Eve sinned, they became aware of their own nakedness, and the scriptures say they immediately tried to, like, clothe themselves and hide from God as they sensed that he was walking towards them, uh, which is it's pretty laughable, right? Because imagine trying to play like hide-and-seek from God, right? That's, that's a losing uh, proposition for sure. Um, and so um, we might laugh at that story, but I think like, as, as we were thinking about it, right, the sin and shame that Adam and Eve experienced, um, it's not unique only to them because their sin affected, affected everyone. And, and I might argue that reflexively, we might find ourselves doing the very same thing of trying to hide from God, whether we know it or not. Um, it's hard for us to truly be bare and honest before God, again, not physically, but emotionally and spiritually, as, as the, their sin and, and, the, and the, the shame of, of, of all the things that we've done wrong um, affect our relationship with God. And so that is kind of what we want to recover and kind of what we want to think about in going through today's, uh, this, this month's sermon series. Um, we want to recover the shame-free openness and joy of being fully honest and vulnerable before God in relationship with him. And so today we are going to read uh, Psalm 139, which really highlights what it means to be known by God. Um, but we're going to be reading it in sections today since it's kind of a long psalm. So we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I won't have you guys stand up every time, but if you guys want to stand up just this first time, you, you can join, you can rise, if you're able, rise with me and stand um, to read verses 1 6. Verse 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. You may be seated. So as I mentioned earlier, like this is a bit long, so we're going to go through it in sections today. And the, this, the first section is something that I would identify as, as the whatever we do section, right? Uh, the psalmist notes like, that God knows us, right? And he knows when we sit, when we rise, right? when we, what we're about to say, when we lie down. Um, he knows all of our actions, our entire schedule, etc. And some people might not love this idea of God knowing everything, or of, of anyone knowing every, of everything that we're doing. I had uh, several conversations with my friends about their sneaking suspicion that their cell phone was listening to them, that, that it was recording what we were saying, and so they could serve us very specific ads. Um, I even saw a YouTube video like where the guy, a guy um, went into the bathroom and he's like, boy, I am out of toilet paper. I sure hope I could get some more, right? He was just trying to see if like, he would get ads for toilet paper or something. Um, and as someone who has worked in marketing before, I, I apologize, um, I would say that probably our cell phones aren't listening to us because they can uh, get accurate data um, through means that only moderately violate our privacy, right? Through like tracking our online habits, et cetera. Um, although one of my coworkers did put a marketing seminar together that was titled like how to market and know your customers without being creepy, right? And um, in the marketing industry, like knowing too much about the customer is, is creepy, right? But um, God, God is not creepy. Um, it, it, might, it might seem weird at first, right, like that God knows everything about us, um, including everything that we do. But this is a good thing, according to the psalmist. God is not trying to spy on us or sell us products, but rather he wants to let us know that we are seen, we are heard, we are loved, and we are known. If you don't like the idea that God knows whatever we do, I wonder if it's because we're painfully aware of our own insecurities and wrongdoings. We wouldn't want any, everyone to know the things that we say and do and think in private when no one's around. Uh, but with God, it's different because he already knows. Um, he sees the depths of our heart, right? The darkest corners of our life, our silly antics, and yet he loves us the same. Whatever we do, God does not stop loving us. This almost then goes on to the next section of the, of the verses. We see in verses 7 through 12, and they say, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle by the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so if the first section, right, was whatever we do, God is with us, right? For this section, the psalmist kind of reiterates, wherever we go, God will be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Whether you move like schools, we had a lot of graduations this year, or move houses or move to different countries, 
Like, God will always be with us, and he's not, he's not like my spotty cell phone service where you lose signal at certain parts of the world if you don't have the right phone plan, right? God is always with us, perfect coverage. Um, when I read this psalm, um, I'm reminded of the story of Jonah, right, uh, in which God told him to go to Nineveh to give a message about repentance. Um, but Jonah didn't want to, and so he tried to run from God. However, wherever he ran, whether it was to the other end of the world or later uh, when he was in the belly of a whale after he was tossed from his escape vessel, right, God was still with him, much to Jonah's dismay. He just wanted to get away, right? Eventually, God's persistence wins out, and Jonah goes to Nineveh and gives the message that he was trying to avoid giving. And while I think it's certainly comforting that God is with us wherever we go, or in Jonah's case, very annoying, where God is with us wherever we go. I, I think that th this wherever we go section extends beyond just where we are physically, right? Uh, I think it also extends to where we are spiritually. Jonah ran away from God, and it's clear that in his disobedience to God's command, that he wasn't in a great place with God. And yet, and yet, God was still with him, and he rescued him from the bottom of the ocean. For us, wherever we're at spiritually, whether we're, we're like with God and doing good with him or we're doing poorly, right? God he is still, promises that he is still with us. Whether we're praising him on the heights or making our bed in the depths, God is with us, and he's graciously calling us back to him. There was a time in my life in which I felt pretty distant from God. Um, it was when I was in college, and ironically, it was when I was halfway around the world. I was studying abroad in South Africa. Um, I had done my best like, to love and serve God. I, I even attended a Christian college. Um, but God had revealed an idol in my heart. Um, before I met my, my wife, Kylie, I was dating this other girl, and God had like, very, very explicitly told me through people in my life and through literal signs like, this, like, you should not be in this relationship. Right? It was very, very clear um, to me, but I just could not let it go. And so I felt, I felt distant from God. I felt sad because I knew that I was living less than what God wanted for me. However, even though I felt distant and I felt sad, God was not distant. Halfway around the world, I attended a church service one day, and the pastor walked up to me, and he said, like, Hey, Stephen, like, I don't, I don't really know you that well, but I just wanted to let you know that I feel like God's telling me to tell you that God loves you and that he's proud of you. And those, those, those simple words, like, I'll never forget that moment. I, I think those words meant a lot to me because like, I, in those moments, I knew that God still cared about me and he still saw me, even though I felt like I was so far from where I knew I should be. Uh, those words that God loves you and that he's proud of you, like those are words I had heard a hundred times, um, yet they had all the impact on me. Like Tears started flowing, everything, because I had started to believe the lies that I was ruining God's plan for my life or that God was disappointed in me and all these things. And in that moment, God's love broke through. And 
months of brokenness were restored. After that, like, it still took a lot of pain, right? It took a lot of growth and a lot of surrender uh, for me to get past this particular issue. But going forward from that point onward, I felt a peace with where I was at with the Lord and how the Lord saw me. I knew that, that no matter what I did or where I went, God would be with me. I think wherever you're at with the Lord, and if you're watching the live stream, wherever you are, like, physically, locationally with the Lord, like, like God, God is with you. God is with you. At your home, he's with you. If you're far from him, he is with you. He loves you, and he's proud of you, and he's calling you to himself. No matter what we've done or what, where we've been or what we've seen, if we turn to him, then as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. God is in the business of restoring what was lost and tarnished into something beautiful. And I, I can say this, that I know this personally because I've experienced it. God will be with us wherever we go, and he'll be with us wherever we run. In the, in the next passage, the psalmist marvels that God doesn't just know what we do, right? doesn't just know where we go, but he also says that we, we have been known our whole lives, and even before we were born. In verses 13 through 18, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together from in the depths of the earth, you saw, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast are the sum of them. Were I, to I, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. It's clear from this passage that we are made very intentionally and with care by God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that we were loved even before we existed on earth. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's beyond my comprehension. Um, and despite that, or despite me knowing that, like, sometimes I have the audacity to ask God, like, God, thanks for making me, but, but why did you make me like this, right? Like, it would be nice if I could just be a little taller, um, or if I could focus a little better, or if I could eat dairy without having any consequences. Like, I'm not sure why I am the way that I am, but I know that God can use it for my good. And more importantly, that I'm 100% loved, despite my lactose intolerance, despite everything else. Like, God, God loves us however we are made, because we are made by him, for him, and in his image. In the fourth section of our passage, the psalmist changes his tone. The psalm reads, If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. 
and this part of the Psalms always makes me a little bit uncomfortable, right? Uh, mostly because I think that what I've perceived as a good, good Christian, right? We need to forgive our enemies and, and not hate anyone, right? And that's good. We, sh- we should do that, right? But um, I think in our own prayer life, I don't think God's too concerned with, with us be, trying to be a good Christian before him. Right? He invites us to be real and honest before him, even if that's not how we're like, supposed to act. Lots of air quotes today, right? But um, he's big enough, right? He can handle it. Um, and I think this is what it means be, to be bare before God, right, for some of us, right? It means that we can be honest before God with all our uncomfortable, unchristian emotions. Whatever happens, however we react to whatever happens, God loves us, and he wants us to pour our hearts out to him. This week, I received a long text from one of my friends. Um, And you know when you get those texts and you just just see it, and you're like, whoa, that's a lot, right? um, um, But but she she sent me something that was like uh, really like deep and personal, right? And I was like, uh, and she was really wrestling with, with, with all the things that were happening around her and her faith. And, and um, I just wanted to read a portion of it because I thought that it was very, very relevant to this. Um, in it, she says, I feel like I've been struggling to pray, and like, I feel like I keep asking God these questions. Like, I keep, I, I'm anxious because I'm going to move soon, right? And I feel like it's a time in which I really need to be praying more and really asking God to guide me through it. But I just feel like this world seems so unpredictable. I mean, you know the news of the shootings and stuff around the world, but also because just last week, a family friend from church passed away, and he was only 22. I mean, I wasn't super close to him, but our families were pretty close growing up like he was an older sibling, like he was an older brother and he had siblings close to my siblings' ages and all of that. And it was just a freak accident. So there was no super sudden, so it was super sudden with no explanation. And I'm just like, why? Why? I, and, and just going through his wake and memorial service and seeing all his family and friends, I'm asking why. It's the struggle between God, I trust you with everything and that you'll provide, but also why? That was a lot, right? Like She had a few more texts in there, but, um, and I didn't know how to respond to that. But I, I spent some time thinking about the answer to her question. Um, but I think she has a very poignant thought right there at the end, right? It's like the struggle between God, I trust you with everything and that you'll provide, but also uh, why. There are certainly many things to lament in this world that we see like on social media, right, and the the news, right? There's still war going on. There's violence. um, There's people who misuse God's name. And and the psalmist, right, in in these four verses, he decries them all. He decries all those things. Uncomfortably, though, there isn't a clear answer as to why God is allowing this to happen or what to do, other than just being honest with our angry, raw emotions, right? Is, is the answer to ask God to smite our enemies like the psalmist is doing here? Like, maybe not, right? Um, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the answer my friend was looking for, at least, in part because the enemy in my friend's text to me isn't 
people as much as it is like heartache and, and anxiety and loss. And so when I got the text, like I really wasn't sure what to say because it's a big question. But I think the heart of it is that like, though, though we might want to know intellectually why, why, why did this happen? I think oftentimes the question isn't so much why is God doing this or why is God allowing this to happen as much as, as it is how can we know that God is still trustworthy, that he still sees us despite everything going on? And the answer in this psalm is, is yes. Yes, God is still trustworthy and still worth following because whatever we do, wherever we go, however we're made, and whatever happens, God loves us, is with us, and he hears us. We might not have all the answers, but we get to have him, and he is enough. God is enough whatever happens. The last two verses, the psalmist ends with uh, read as follows. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my anxious heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In the beginning of our passage, the psalmist says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me at here. Um, at the end of the passage, right, we see a request for God to search us and to know us again. And while there's some like really nice parallelism starting and ending uh, with this, uh, the statement, these two statements are actually quite distinct from each other, each other in my opinion, right? Because the first one it was just simply a statement that God has searched me and God does know me, right? But the second one is an invitation, right? It's an invitation for God to search us and to know us. Um, and I think, I think that's notable and, and worth mentioning. Now, you might think, like, why, why, does, uh, why do we need to ask God to search us when he already knows everything, right? Do we, does he need our permission? Is it, like, why does, why does search if he already knows? Now, I don't claim to speak for God, but I imagine that God wants us to ask him because he loves us and because he delights in his children. Just as a parent might delight in hearing their child say that they want to snuggle time or like hang out with, with their parent, right? Even if they already know it, tell a secret that they already know. Like, um, so God is with us, right? God wants us to tell him everything, to invite us, for us to invite him in because he loves us. And us inviting God allows us to know God more deeply and be reminded that we are known by him. I think it's also worth noting that a relationship with God isn't just meant to be one way, right? It's not just all about what we get out of it. Yes, like, we receive more from God than we ever could give back, and God doesn't need anything from us. But if, we genu if done genuinely, like our worship, our offerings, our love and affection for him and for each other, right? Those, those things warm his heart. That's why we gather here on Sundays, right? Uh, to, to, to give praise to God and to be uh, close to one another and close to God. I think finally, it's important for us to invite God in because inviting him in also helps us learn more about ourselves and how we can live in line with God. The prayer, like, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, like that's not an easy prayer to pray. Like, because even if we're trying to be as vulnerable as possible before God, like 
there's always more for God to reveal to us, right? God, God can reveal more of how much he loves us, and he can also reveal how much we fall short and are in desperate need of him. It's hard for me to be bare before God because I don't want to be bare before anyone, right? let alone someone who knows and sees it all, no matter how much I try to hide. I don't like being alone with my thoughts, just generally speaking sometimes, and with the rise of endless entertainment, right, at the touch of my fingertips, like, I don't have to. I don't have to be alone with my thoughts. Like, I can watch YouTube while I cook and clean on long car rides. I can listen to podcasts. And even, even in the shower, I have an like, a, a electronic Bluetooth speaker that's waterproof, so I can listen to music, right? I, I really don't have to be, be alone with God if I don't want to. Like, if I can't even be, be bare before God, like, in the shower when I'm literally bare, like, how can I, you know... How can I think about being bare before God, just generally speaking? Um, I think about Adam and Eve, right? And in their shame, like how they instinctively, how similar to them, how I instinctively try to cover up my own shame and my own sinfulness with busyness and preoccupation and entertainment rather than turning to God. I don't get, if I don't give myself a chance to think about it, like I feel like I'm fine, right? I, I, I just put it off. But in reality, I'm not. Rather, it ends up being an unconscious attempt to cover myself up so that I don't have to be vulnerable and honest with myself or with God or anyone else. There's, uh, there's a pastor named Pete Scazzaro. I, I read his book. Uh, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in this book, he, he describes himself as a pastor, right? And I'm, I'm getting there, right? And I'm thinking about becoming a pastor, right? And so he describes himself as this pastor that was on fire for God, and he was doing a great, great job, right? He had a, a huge church, um, and he was, was doing everything really well, but he just kind of stunk at being with Jesus. And so he, he, he was a great, he's great at doing Christianity, but he was terrible at just being a Christ follower, like, is maybe how he would say it. And so as a result, he said he saw under his leadership, he saw his church split and get really mad at each other, and that, and that he kept trying to lead through it and kept trying to lead through it, and then he saw his own wife leave the church. Sorry, not, not the church, leave his church. Um, and so this began Pete's long journey of learning how, to, how unhealthy he was and, learning, and relearning how to love God and how to be with God how to invite him in, right? And there's a lot that he discusses in this book, but um, I think the key really was that learning how to shift to be from just doing all these things for God to learning how to just be with God, how to invite him in. And so the question that I have for us today is, is how can we learn to be bare before God? Or can we even be bare before God without running away in shame? And the answer is, only by the grace of God and only through the power of the cross. It is in the good news of the gospel that we learn that we cannot remove the shame of our sin ourselves. No matter how much we try to cover ourselves with labels or achievements, God sees right through us. And knowing this, Jesus took compassion on us by dying, on our, uh, dying for our sins on the cross, taking with him in death our shame. For he was beaten and bloodied and bare before God on the cross, and God deemed his sacrifice to be sufficient for us to be made in right standing with God. But Jesus did not stay dead. He rose on the third day and offers us new life and new freedom 
with him. And while just as one man's sin condemns mankind to a life of shame before God, so one man's life, death, and resurrection offers us a vision of the life with God in which we can be bare before him, free of shame. May we as a church take hold of this vision and learn how to live vulnerably and honestly before the Lord. Let's pray. God, it's hard sometimes to be vulnerable before you, which is crazy because you know everything. Um, I know that we can live busy lives, and I know that we uh, might not always pour out our whole hearts to you, God, but I ask, Lord, that you would help us to take some time this week just to put, to, to be uninterrupted and undistracted and just really invite you in, Lord, that you would search us and that you would know us and that we could know, we can know that we are fully known and fully loved by you. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us through this week and that you'd continue to open our hearts and our eyes to the ways in which we are hiding still. May we cast off the shame of our sin and may we live in the freedom of the gospel and the vision that you have for our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.